0: We've lost 2,100 newspapers. That is a fourth of all the publications we had 15 years ago have vanished. Most of those have been non-dailies or weeklies, so they've been very local, and most have been under 15,000 circulation.
1: Welcome to a special extra episode of It's All Journalism. I'm posting on Tuesday. I had the opportunity to speak to Penny Muse Abernathy, the Knight Chair in Journalism and Digital Media Economics at the University of North Carolina. Penny was in town moderating a panel that the Knight Foundation and Gallup put on entitled Public Good or Private Enterprise, a policy discussion on the future of local news, which is right down the It's All Journalism alley. Penny was available to speak while she was in town, so uh, we huddled in a a room after the panel and had a quick conversation. Some of you who may be uh, long-time listeners of It's All Journalism may know that we spoke to Penny way back in 2014 at the Association of Alternative News Media conference uh, Annual Conference in Nashville. And at that time, uh, she was talking about her new book, Saving Community Journalism, The Path to Profitability. Since we spoke, she's written another book about news deserts. So here is my conversation with Penny. Welcome back to the podcast, Penny. Thank (laughs) you. So we're uh, we're meeting today at the Gallup Building in Washington, D.C. because you took part in a panel. Uh, the, uh, about some, a recent report that was released by the Knight Foundation and Gallup. Let, let's talk a little bit about the panel first. What was, what was that about and what was the information that they were releasing?
0: Well, Gallup has done two surveys recently. One that looked at trust in local media and what they found is there's a higher level of trust in local media than there is in national media. It tends to be partisan in some ways. Uh, Democrats tend to be much more likely to trust local media as well as national media than uh, Republicans do, but but the interesting thing was that there seems to be a path forward for the local news uh, community in terms of um, support among people. Uh, the, the, they also did a follow-up study, which is what we were here today to discuss, was uh, the perceptions of the business crisis that is affecting most local news organizations.
1: And how would you describe that crisis?
0: Well, basically, the model that supported 20th century print newspapers has collapsed, uh, they've lost uh, print revenue. They have not been able to substitute digital revenue for that. And so we all have a stake in whatever replaces the 20th century version of the newspaper, the local newspaper.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that came that was mentioned in the study, and this is the thing that uh, I've heard elsewhere in other studies, is that while may, you know people will say that, yeah, yeah, I, I really value my local news more than I, I value national news, um, that doesn 't mean they're they 're going out of their way to support it,
0: <laughs> right well, I mean, the interesting thing was I think slightly more people said that they would they would support it or were inclined to know that uh uh local news operations were having financial difficulties. That to me is the first takeaway from this. both Pew and this this survey with Gallup have confirmed that the vast majority of people just are not aware of the fact of what 's happened to the local media environment over the last decade. It's happened so quickly, they just haven't had the ability to focus on, gosh, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, and a bit of that is, I assume, is what you kind of describe in your book, news deserts. You know, tell me a little about that. I never got the chance well, to talk to you about
0: that. Well, there there are two ways to look at it. We started tracking uh, and trying to document what was actually happening. I could see it happening, but there were no numbers and statistics to support it. So we tracked local news Uh, the loss of local news in two ways. One is the loss of local newspapers. So over the past 15 years, we've lost 2,100 newspapers. That is a fourth of all the publications we had 15 years ago have vanished. Most of those have been non-dailies or weeklies, so they've been very local, and most have been under 15,000 circulation. Uh, They are the very newspapers that we depended on to kind of tell us what was important for our quality of life. The other way we track it is the loss of actual journalists. And we've lost more than half of the journalists we had in newspaper newsrooms over the past decade. And that has hit predominantly at the state level, so the state and metro level. So two ways to think about it is – we turn to the local newspaper for very local news that's going to affect the quality of our life today and maybe a few years out, the zoning issues, the town council meetings. We depend on the state, regional, and metro papers to kind of show us how we're related to people we might not know we're related to in another part of the state, maybe in the adjacent in an adjacent county or in, maybe in another area of the region so that how the state uh, papers have historically helped us kind of come together to problem solve at both the local and the state level and ultimately the national level.
1: Yeah, when, when, way back in, you know, 2014 when we were talking in Nashville, you were you were you were sort of a prophet in the wilderness. You were you were telling print publishers, man, you got you got to switch. Yeah. You got you got to start the process. Of switching your revenue stream to digital yeah. and you know what I find interesting. well first of all let me ask you that have you seen a, a sort of migration I know you just said that we've seen papers disappear but have you seen a migration toward that
0: uh, yeah so I have spent the last 10 years as you know working with uh, individual publishers and uh, owners of local news organizations both startup as well as legacy ones primarily newspapers because they've been the hardest hit what I've discovered is that there are two things that determine whether you can successfully migrate right now. One is are you, where are you located? So where is the newspaper located? If it's in an area that has at least average economic growth prospects uh, then and have an owner who is willing to invest for the long term. So you need to invest in transforming your business model. That takes capital. So that, that's why it relates back to where you're located, right, from all of that. So if you do, you have an above-average chance of transforming your model and becoming a for-profit strategic digital entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, and, and coincidentally, um, we're sort of in the middle of a, a producing a, a one of our Better News uh, podcasts, uh, talking to the people down at the a News Reporter in North Carolina, a right. paper that you worked with. Uh, to try to help them to make that sort of transition. Can you sort of describe their situation and how they kind of uh, have made that switch?
0: Yeah, so they, they're independently owned. Uh, the current owner is third generation. He's hoping his uh, to make it to fourth. His daughter will uh, come back and, and run the paper. One of the, the, the situations they're in is exactly what we see in many economically struggling communities. This paper won the Pulitzer uh, Public Service uh, Award, in uh, the early 1950s for basically taking a firm stand against the KKK and keeping them out of that area. Um, The uh, margins at that paper have gone from the double digits down to the single digits. Uh, It makes it very hard to – you live on a razor's edge at that. You worry about everything from the stories you decide to cover as to whether there's going to be legal action that you have the funds to prevail in and carry it through. Uh, to just making payroll in many of the, the papers that I've worked with. One of the keys for all of that is is, is not relying solely on one source of uh, income. And you've got to think creatively. You've got to be very disciplined in those cases, and you've got to be very creative. Up the road is another example of a of a newspaper that's totally transformed itself, The Pilot and Southern Pines. Now, it has one adva- two advantages that the White Bull does not have. It is of, of the same caliber community paper. It's roughly the same size. And like White Bull, it's published twice a week uh, in print, but it also has a strong online presence. Uh, over the past decade, they've evolved from relying almost exclusively on the newspaper for revenue to the point today that the news the newspaper contributes only 30% of the revenue and they've done but they take all the revenue that comes from from other sources and they've been very sharp about doing it they don't just focus on digital so for here's a good example they put together a phone book they started uh, distributing phone books to the communities where they were now the good news is Most businesses are going to be in a yellow-page phone book, right? So there's lots of cash flow there. But what he did is take the information that he gleaned from all of that to set up a search engine and in turn realized he had all this data. He now has set up an uh, uh, in-house digital ad agency to serve the businesses there. So he continues to – he bought a bookstore, an independent bookstore – brought it to break even and it, and has used it to learn how to do events as well as how to think about e-commerce sites for artists and artisans in the area. So you have to think creatively but in a disciplined way. The advantage the Southern Pines Pilot has is that it's owned by the former owners of the News and Observer, so they have capital to invest. And it, one of the things that happens when you're transforming your business, not everything's going to work. You know, so if you have capital, you can afford to experiment a lot more versus the one at the news reporter in an economically struggling, I think it's the third poorest county in the state of North Carolina. You just have a razor thin edge, and you've got to think creatively can I break out of this market? Can I, can I you know, employ maybe a digital ad agency in an adjacent county? Can I, can I think of publications I can put out in an adjacent county? that will bring me back revenue to this area, too.
1: Yeah, and, and let's sort of circle back to this uh, this panel that you were a part of today, some of the solutions that they sort of offer there. There were representatives uh, from the News Media Alliance, um, uh, from, um, from public media, and, and then they seem to order or offer a variety of, of solutions. And when we got to the Q&A session, you actually kind of pushed back to some of the things they were saying. Basically, based on this, um, this idea that uh, there's not one solution, right. and and, that, and there's not one, you know, that if you say local media, that means so many different things. things. It could be a local, you know, radio station. It could be a weekly. It could be a, a daily, even. Uh, yeah. Um, and the and the impact of the local economy it plays so much a part in that. So. Yeah. What what would you say to that, to this idea that things are so different?
0: Well, one of the things that concerns me the most is if you look at the places where we have lost uh, newspapers, they tend to be much poorer. Uh, The poverty levels are significantly higher than they are in the U.S. average, right? So that indicates that there's probably not a for-profit model in those uh, communities, at least right now. So that's going to require a, a rethinking of what public media does in those areas, as well as whether there are partnerships that can be done. One of the uh, things I have pushed since uh, I wrote Saving Community Journalism is that you need to think strategically about partnerships. Unfortunately, local news organizations have tended to exist in their own geographic market there is no geographic market right now right you 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 have to think about how you're building community in different ways it may be around special interest uh, such as lifestyle magazines it's just a very simple one it may be sports franchise or things like that events even right exactly events the problem with events is for most people unless you've got the right kind of events they have very small profit margins So you've got to think about how you do a collection of various things that both break you out of a geographic market. Uh, One of the publishers I work with talks about breaking out of jail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And 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 he's talking about in a geographic sense, that you just don't have the digital revenue maybe in your market. You've got to think of other ways that you pull in the cash right now. But then to redeploy that to learn a digital skill. Yeah, some of
1: the things that they were talking about on the panel, you know, legislation that's in place to try and, uh, for example, um, some of the revenue that the the platforms right. have uh, that are the ad revenue that's kind of wrapped up in that, trying to get some of that, and another solution being, you know, partnering with a local public media station, and then you know, you know, maybe updating the you know the the public broadcasting act so that some of that. Uh, money that these local stations have stay in the community to, to help support local journalism. You know, again, but these are just some of the solutions, not necessarily the solution for each one.
0: Well, again, I, I get back to the fact that, there, you know, what is local news, right? we depended on local news and, and we've depended on local newspapers uh, for two different things. One is that notion of what's happening in my city council meeting tonight uh, the other is the, the investigative reporting that has traditionally been done by regional news outlets, whether it's TV or newspapers, that kind of helped us uh, identify a problem that maybe we hadn't thought about, whether it's environmental, whether it's educational, or, the, or even corruption, right? Or the and opioid, o- o- opioid, opioid crisis. crisis. Right, health related. Uh, all of which the FCC identified eight critical information needs that we need in order to make informed decisions. Uh, about uh, the quality of our lives. Uh, so we, we have historically relied on those regional groups to provide that. So when you're thinking about where do we deploy the public funding to make the most sense, uh, it strikes me that given the fact that we've lost, what, 26,000, I think, or at least 26,000 people out of uh, uh, newspaper newsrooms, And we have only about 4,000, I think, is the most accurate count we can get right now of uh, reporters for public media. So, first off, do you deploy it at the state level to partner with the state groups? How does it then go down to the areas where, in a place like uh, uh, Columbus County where the news reporter is, how do you then also get coverage of local city council meetings? Because one of the things we find when, uh, because of the cutback, in in the, the state and regional they no longer cover many of the uh it, routine government meetings even in large communities <laughs> you kind of have to know uh that there's going to be something controversial or they won't even send anyone and the same is true when you lose a newspaper no one shows up to cover your town council meeting or your county commissioner meeting i had uh someone who was on a town council in my hometown which is a and happens to have the distinction of being the town in the poorest county in North Carolina, come up to me a couple of years ago and ask, how do you correct a story on Facebook? When I probed, it turned out that it was assumed it was going to be a very uh, routine government meeting. It unexpectedly turned contentious, and the only account of what occurred in the town council meeting was the uh, account that was posted by the mayor on his Facebook page, which had been shared hundreds of times by the time the other town council member, who obviously didn't think it was an accurate portrayal of what had been discussed and agreed on, found it. And, I mean, that is, we have a real information void right now and that we can look to see, okay, public funding might address this, but we need to be very careful what is the problem we're solving on local news right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things I I was thinking about when we were talking about, you know, we were talking back in 2014 is, I mean, there were there was definitely this sort of political division in America, but it has only gotten worse. Yeah. uh, You know, couple that with, you know, these news deserts and and papers folding. And, you know, I don't think there's particularly surprising information that was released today uh, in this study from. uh, from the foundation and, and from from the knight Foundation and and from Gallup that you know people perceive bias in yeah. the news, and that for for them it, it sort of impacts the trustworthiness of, yeah. of the news source
0: you know I was talking with a couple of the panelists before, and uh, they were making a distinction, and I think this is true as to uh, and it relates back to the Facebook story I just told you that local uh, politics tends to be adversarial, but it doesn't necessarily break down along the, the, the national partisan lines. So one of the most encouraging statistics uh, from the Gallup study was that almost nine out of 10 people felt that you know people needed to have access to local news, right? The, the discouraging part is that they, there's no consensus as to how they ought to pay for that local news. But then the encouraging part, again, is once Gallup w- went through either the importance of local news to democracy and what's at stake at our democracy at all levels or pointed out the financial problems and how that had curtailed news, actual local news coverage, people were much more inclined to uh, to donate a portion of their uh, – Uh, of their their honorarium that they had received to a news organization. Uh, So I think part of it is an educational one. This has happened so fast. Most people assume that the local news organization is still fat and happy. Uh, But by the same token, a Pew study last year found that more than half of all people said they had noticed there was less local news in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, and explaining why that is. And and we're not, I mean— yeah, the news industry isn't always the best at explaining what our problem is. Right. Um, I think part, part of that <laughs> is it's taken us so long to realize that we actually had a problem that had to be dealt yeah, with. And then, you know, but I, I think we're at a kind of a point where we recognize, OK, there are these really kind of big issues. And I think we're like this thing today. We're discussing this uh, this this impact that this, you know, uh, the you know fewer and fewer local newspapers have on, you know, public policy and you know, the, the strength of our democracy, you know, we were, we were beginning to recognize but getting that message out to to a larger audience to, to sort of explain what we do. I knew I know one of the things uh, that we talk about, you know, how how we gain our trust of our in our audience is to be more transparent about about our process. And I think we yeah. need we do need to do a better job of telling our story. Right. And that includes the fact that there are a lot of papers closing down. There may be a reason why you're not seeing more local news.
0: Well, I, I mean, there, there are a whole range of reasons, too, that, that newspapers are uh, shuttering themselves. Uh, the first uh, uh, wave was brought about in part by, by the consolidation in the industry. We had a very different owner move into the market about a decade ago. That was a private equity and hedge funds who swooped in to buy bankrupt chains Uh, And they, unlike our traditional newspaper model, whether you were publicly traded or privately owned, they were usually, came out of a family that had some sort of civic mission that was mixed in with the shareholder, return to shareholder mission. When you get these large chains owned by private equity and uh, hedge funds, it's only usually a small portion of their portfolio, uh, newspapers are, And, you know, their total focus is on return for shareholders. So if you are an, a newspaper that's not performing in an economically struggling market, you're going to give it two or three years and say, okay, I didn't pay that much for the newspaper. I can walk away from it and shutter it, right? Or I can try to sell it to somebody else, right, from any of that. So that's one problem. And then, of course, the other problem is uh, what happened in 2008 hit wall street first and it's it went right straight down to main street so the local newspapers had been somewhat immune from the the disarray that was hitting national and regional newspapers because they still had a strong retail base or at least a retail base that they could call on so if they've lost classified they still had a retail base in their community that evaporated post 2009
1: yeah and and to circle back to what we were talking before about uh the news reporter. I mean, you know, you have a community where industry has gone away, that your local retail is dried up because there's a Walmart in there. Everybody's going to Walmart. Um, you know, it, it, that's a tough thing to to get out of. And the the idea, you know, you, you know, in in that model, they they want to go to a fourth generation of the family to do it. But there, in other communities, there's no. Long-term plan.
0: The average family doesn't make it past the third generation. Family-owned uh, business does not make it past the third generation. I, I've watched many of those. This latest round of um, uh, people who are selling uh, tend to be not chains buying other chains, but family members who just have run through the lineage and do not have a fourth-generation person, 4th fourth person who wants to assume the um, – uh, the mantle and carry on the business. Uh, it uh, it has turned it away from being a family business. For many of that, we've seen the number of independents. Uh, almost all of the dailies are owned by one of the major top ten chains and um, the top largest chains. And uh, you know the only independents left are tend to be. In, in communities that are still family-owned, and that's that's less than a third now. We've seen that drop down substantially. Yeah, and we
1: have a – again, this is not the solution for all of these problems, but we've got a, an episode coming up uh, fairly soon uh, about a program at West Virginia University right. where they're promoting entrepreneurship and, and people coming in uh, to these – these communities where the, the paper is still viable, but they just don't have the next generation of editor or publisher.
0: Right. I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think there, there are some uh, communities that can be well served by that. Uh, the one thing I would say that I've found is that in dealing with startups, you tend to have very passionate uh, journalists – Uh, who um, do not think through that you've got to have at least a five-year business plan to getting to sustainability. And sustainability is not me just basically eking by. It is so they lack that business knowledge to go in and really scale up so they're not sitting there working 80 hours a week Trying to fall down in a, in a in a an exhausted heap and then realize oh my gosh I've got to go bring in some revenue from all of this so we want to get away from what I call the one one person bicycle messenger uh, business model into something that is much more sustainable and I think that is the 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 one thing I hope that West Virginia also figures in is is taking those that are and realizing. I'm still as convinced as I was when I wrote Saving Community Journalism five years ago, based on everything we've seen in other, any other industry, that you've got to have a business plan, a five-year business plan in place for transforming one-third of your costs, at least one-third of your costs, and one-third of your revenue if you're going to survive. So that is based on the notion that when you're going through disruption, the average lifespan of a company on the S&P 500 is about 16 years. So that if you apply that to a general notion, some markets might be more faster, some might be slower, but that also assumes that you started 5, 10 years ago with that. So, I mean, I think that what I see with startups is probably going to apply to well-intentioned, People who want to come in and buy good newspapers just because it's profitable today does not mean it's going to be profitable uh, five years from now, and that's the thing that you really need to consider is... How do you transform it and keep that profitability? Yeah,
1: the idea is let's let's keep these papers around for a long time. Yeah, not just right. a quick well, fix. In,
0: in whatever form they're delivered. Exactly. In. Yeah, so I, you know, I get I get attacked a lot <laughs> by saying yeah, we should invest in these old dinosaurs and prints going the way. Of, I, I'm very clear. We have a stake in whatever replaces the print version of the local newspaper yeah if you
1: can if you can you know find sustainability with print yeah Yeah, find sustainability with print but if you know be open to other solutions
0: well let let me give you one other example okay uh the little rock uh democrat gazette uh they are in the process of transfer transforming uh their entire delivery system uh is something they've tested for almost two years in multiple communities what they are doing is giving people an ipad And uh, instead of going, as many dailies have been, saying, okay, we're going to go from seven-day-a-week to five-day-a-week to four-day-a-week, they have said, we're going to go to one-day-a-week printing, which is Sunday, which remains very profitable for them because of the advertising that goes in the Sunday paper, and we're going to give you an iPad, and we will give you a digital version of the front page and the entire newspaper on your iPad the other six days a week. Uh, they have tested it multiple times to know what exactly they needed to charge for that subscription, what they needed to, um, uh, and in what kind of combination they tested lots of those, and what kind of uptake they needed to have. How many people did they need to, to actually do it? They needed 70. They've been getting about 85%. But what they also did is realize that our habits change very slowly. So they have invested the last year and a half – in teaching people how much better, how much more value they actually get for the six days a week that they're getting the iPad. Now, stop for a moment and think that with daily newspapers, the really the the secret that was obscured by how profitable newspapers were is, in practice, even in the best of times, for most newspapers, only about three days were profitable. But those three days, probably Wednesday, when you had the grocery ads. Friday when you had the um, like movies, uh, movies and, uh, and entertainment, and Sunday when you had all the inserts as well as uh, the classifieds and everything else were pro- so profitable, they, they, they took care of the other seven days a week. And so, you know, this is kind of an interesting combination, uh, if you look at the Little Rock Gazette, of not alienating your loyal customers like so many dailies have done when they've just cut back, Circulation, because what you're doing is changing constantly, changing my re- my, my my habits, right? It, it took me. I haven't, and I think I mentioned this when we talked uh, back in 2014. At that point, I had not subscribed to a print edition of a newspaper in a year. It's now been six years, but it took me a year and a half of reading uh, the the iPad to understand that there was much more value to me. As a reader, it made a lot more sense. I had to change my habits totally. Uh, I, I can't imagine going back to print. I love the digital versions of everyone I subscribe to. Right,
1: and, and actually I think that's been the, the lesson for a lot of these papers is that they're actually lagging behind their audience and understanding that, yeah, I yeah. get much more news and, and impactful stuff by off, off of my phone. Yeah. You know, getting the getting the local newspaper to realize that you know that's where your reader is. You need to put your. For me,
0: it's not the phone. It's my well, iPad. iPad. It's been it's been actually interesting watching my uh, uh, Gen X um, and Gen Yers who both uh, have started on the phone but have migrated back to the iPad. Mm-hmm. But in part because you just get a better experience on the iPad uh, than you do. Uh, and it was interesting. I was reading the other day. Is that we're kind of in a, uh, in a New York Times column, which I've been thinking about too. Is that you? You know, one of the the principles that I articulate in saving community journalism is to be successful. You have to follow the technology, follow the customer, and if you're going to follow the money, um, my argument has been that if you look at the laptop, if you look at the iPad, it just only makes sense that they're going to converge at some point. You you know, so the iPad begins to give you the kind of functionality that you had on the, the laptop without being nearly as heavy to carry around as somebody who carries a laptop around a lot. Uh, women appreciate that anyway. <laughs> it's uh, That four extra pounds is not a lot of fun on your shoulder. Uh, but, I mean, it also... We're having a convergence there, so that's an, an example of following the technology. I mean, it's um, it may not, you know. Uh, iPad was the first thing picked up by people over forty. I think there's a real question. For instance, and I've talked with the folks in Little Rock. The great news is they didn't alienate their local, their loyal customers, and they've convinced their longtime customers how to make that transition. The question it, it really concerns my two sons and their age group. How do you then begin to pick up the people? Who, fortunately, Gallup found that they were actually more inclined than older people to actually donate to a news organization. So there may be some sense if you can follow the technology with where they're going. Right? If you use my son's as example, they started reading on their phones, but are beginning to migrate over the iPad. Is that where the technology's going next? Yeah,
1: and I think we both, we've been around long enough so that we remember when people just were completely resistant to paying for anything exactly. online. And, but that's evolved with things like you know yeah. net, Netflix. They, they, yeah. they, they, they're willing to, to put a little money aside for something that they value. And, and so putting local news in that space... You know, you know that's that that's key. I well, think.
0: well, think about it. Here's been here's been the problem. There is something called the theory of relative constancy that applies to both advertising as well as to how much we're willing to pay. Uh, and that theory has been debunked now, right? I mean, um, well, the theory on the household income was we would pay about five percent for a combination of news, entertainment, and the like. What has happened over the last two decades is the amount we pay for entertainment has skyrocketed and we're still basically paying what we were paying for news at that until the until the last part where newspapers have uh, had to turn more and more to subscribers and raise this, the price of of a subscription.
1: Yeah, we we definitely have you know, I think what I said before, we we've been really bad about telling our story. Well, yeah, and, exactly.
0: Right. And and, and but, but we also it also says something about what we valued at that point, which was entertainment, right? Streaming came first for the entertainment and so we we see ourselves we let cable companies give us 800 channels and charge us about 10 times what they charged us uh, in the late 90s and didn't think that much about it, right? But we, we basically held – we had a reference price for what we would pay for news, whether it was in print or online, and that stayed pretty much the same, which is encouraging to me that you've got – of the, gen, the the millennials and the Gen Xers are beginning to think about uh, contributing to, to news.
1: Yeah, and you could even, even... – point to the uptick in subscriptions for the New York times and the Washington post after the 2016 election that if you know, if people suddenly realize that they need to support journalism, whatever level, that they've got to they've got to step up and do it
0: right exactly okay well
1: we could be talking about this all day uh and you've got a plane to catch at some point here uh penny thanks for taking a few minutes to talk about this
0: thank you thank you for uh uh, having an interest in this thank you for all that you do on it's all journalism thank
1: you very much thanks for listening to this special podcast discussion with penny muse abernathy of the university of north carolina i wanted to thank the people at gallup and the knight foundation for helping to set up this interview. Check back later this week for our regular episode of It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism, Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.